0: Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash Amos. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash Amos to help us continue to make high quality and tori attainment for you.
1: Uh, well, Paley's a volcano goddess, and I thought of, like, um, sacrificing some of the boys in my life to her, but then I decided that that wasn't really a very good idea. And, uh, the album is sort of about the way I've stolen fire from the men in my life. And I got tired of doing that, because I have my own. But I couldn't see that for a very long time. And um, now I can respect them without needing to suck their blood.
0: Hey everybody, you're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts, I'm Ephraim Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about Not the Red Baron, from Tori's third album, Boys for Pelé.
2: Hi, David. Hey, Eve. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Um, But up front, I'm going to have to ask you and the listeners, I guess, to pardon my voice because I seem to have come down with a serious case of Halloween fever. Well, I will pardon your voice as I
0: always do. Thank you. So long as you pardon mine. Done. You have Halloween fever. I still sound like a little girl. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, everybody. Hey, Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Miss. How have you been since our last
2: episode when you made the shocking admission that you want to dance
0: with somebody who loves you? Well, I do want to dance with somebody who loves me. I've been doing well. I've been looking at the world through new eyes. I'm definitely ready for a relationship. I'm definitely ready to stop fooling around. I'm ready to settle down. Are you? I mean, that was quick, right? No, I know. I was gonna I say know. this is a roller coaster I from know. day to day. I can't, I can't. Tell. I don't know if I'm ready to settle down, but I'm definitely ready to sit down. Yeah, like stay seated for a few minutes. Yeah, <laughs> right. And it would be nice if someone pulled your chair out for you. Not, no, no, I don't need any of that. You're not that kind no, of girl. No, not at all. Really? No.
2: I do think not. that's just because you're not very good at receiving mm, no, I am compliments great. or gestures of affection. Just a comment, not a criticism. I'm
0: great at receiving criticism. Just
2: something that I've I've observed. Okay. Over time.
0: Um, I'm not that kind of girl. I don't need flowers. I don't need you to pull out my chair. I am an adult male. <laughs> I can pull out my own chair. I can pick flowers from someone's lawn on my own. No, but I don't do that. I don't really care for flowers. Flowers just kind of um. They pollute my life. There's <laughs> with their beauty and fragrance. Yes. You got to take care of them. You have to maintain them. Oh. Then they die anyway. It's kind of a metaphor, actually. I was going to say, I think we're getting a little bit more of a window into oh, how you hold relationship. No, I don't. I just need you to be real. That's what I need you to be. If you want to be in a relationship with this girl, you just got to be real. Just be yourself. Like, I don't I don't need you to pull out my chair, David. <laughs> Is that a lot to ask from people? That they be themselves? Yeah. Have you have a
3: lot of experience. In my life, to people who weren't able to do that. Yeah.
0: Or who were themselves unfortunately but too much.
2: <laughs> Be yourself but not too much. But not that much, much yeah.
0: <laughs> we're here today to discuss not The Red Baron. It's funny cuz this song deals with the aftermath of a relationship and looking at your partner through new eyes with a new realization. So I, I'm excited to get into that as it relates to the song, as it relates to the performances of the song, the creation of the song, the genesis, and also as as it relates to our own lives. Yeah. This That's may, what I'm really
2: excited about. This may be a journey for me because I never look back. Once it's over, the first thing I do within 30 seconds is delete contact <laughs> really? information and
0: sever all ties. That's funny. Absolutely I'm not true. like that. I have like a thousand contacts in my phone because I don't delete anyone. Who are these people? Like, I want to make sure that if you call me and I don't want to answer, that I'm not surprised. So your name will pop up and I'll be like, nope. All the X's are still in your phone? Yeah. Since I've had an iPhone in 2011. Golly. And let me tell you, (laughs) there are hundreds of them. I believe it. (laughs) Thousands. But I'm ready for the one. I'm ready for the one. And this is just a little bit about us right now. This is act one. Banter. That's what it says on the page. Banter. (laughs) That's what I'm trying to do. Don't worry, it'll end up on the cutting room floor. As it usually does. I don't like to get too personal on this show. (laughs) I save it for Drive All Night After Dark. Mm. How are you? I'm doing quite well. I'm very excited. About my Halloween adventures.
3: My house was
0: decorated on September 1. Totally normal. And you Fanderson's out there, anyone who wants to stalk David, he'll be in Orlando at Halloween Horror Nights for like 10 days in a row. Yeah, so So. I'm not moving once I'm there. So (laughs) So, So you'll find him. Shall we get into what's happening on this episode of the show? Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm excited. Today's guests, we have, we're have we talking to superfans. Superfans, plural. They were lining up to talk about Not the Red Not Baron. The Red Baron talking, this is... People love this song or they hate this song. Do people really hate it? I mean, it's either "Eh." people's favorite song of all time or their least favorite on this album. Yeah. It's crazy that just the polar opposite. polarizing. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Are you ready for the super fans, David? I love a studio guest. Uh, Well, we have some phone guests. We have studio guests. We have one super fan named Kira Lee, who I met in Chicago on tour. If you want to go back to our tour all night episode from Chicago, our post show... You can hear her there, too. She's awesome. We're going to be interviewing her later. We also have a rare treat for this show, a heterosexual male, Sergio Mora, and we'll be talking to him in just a little while. And we do have an in-studio guest... Paul Roy Taylor, who we've had on. He was here before in our Blood Roses episode, and he has a lot of things to say about Not the Red Baron, but he won't tell us what he's saying. I think he's going to tell us why he kind of likes Not the Red Baron. We'll see. (laughs) He says he loves it, but he doesn't know the words, and he doesn't know what it means. So he's got his own analysis or interpretation, but he's going to tell us in a segment we're going to call Wine Down with Paul Roy Taylor. Mm. And it's not wind down, it's wine down. So after I'm done eating this half jar of pickles. Half? <laughs> uh, we'll, ha- well, we'll see if I get through the whole jar at the end of the episode. Um, but I'm going to try to also do a bottle of wine in between. Like half pickles, bottle of wine, the rest of the pickles. <laughs> you see? It's just another Friday night. <laughs> um, and then later we'll be taking a trip down memory lane <laughs> with Shaggy. And Emmy Kane. So if you if you were worth your salt on the tour scene in the '90s, you knew Emmy Kane as the girl with the kaleidoscope hair, and we got her, ladies and gentlemen. Very excited to talk to Emmy Kane.
2: I was gonna say, I guess the theme of this episode is looking back with memory lane oh. and prior relationships with just the song, but oh. isn't this entire podcast about looking
0: back? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, when you yes, when you put it that way, it is. But this song in particular, it's it's so great that I have the natural impulse to put a memory lane in this episode. I'm just so in tune. And you are in tune. without even realizing how uh, in tune you just I am. naturally craft a masterwork oh. every time. I, <laughs> um, thanks, especially to Rachel, who is our researcher here for this episode she put our show notes together she's amazing um, and also thanks, we couldn't do this without our Patreon supporters, and this month we add Stefan Svensson to the family, and we add Dusty N. Miller to the family. So welcome to the family. Welcome, and thank you. Thank you very much. Oh my gosh, we just get to it. No time to waste. No time to waste. All these
2: guests. I
0: know, we gotta, we, yeah, we gotta get moving. <laughs> Nothing on the cutting room floor this time, ladies and gentlemen. Know. Should we stretch our necks beforehand with all this looking backwards? We <laughs> don't want to throw something I'm, out. No, I'm very comfortable looking You're just gonna hold me. up a mirror. Yeah, no, I don't even need it. Don't, my, don't strain yourself. Like an owl, my head just turns back. I'm used to it. <laughs> Let's listen to a cover, shall we? Sure. Okay. Well, in our folly, we took a long time between Hey Jupiter and Way Down. I don't know if you remember, but you know that memory lane doesn't need to be serviced. <laughs> but in that interim, we lost contact with... RL Atrium. RL Atrium, if you're listening, answer my emails, please. Um, and read the notes I've sent you, to you on SoundCloud. <laughs> so in place of that, we'll be listening to a new cover. This is an interesting cover of Not the Red Baron. And this is by a group called A Place Both Wonderful and Strange. That's their name, I think. I'm pretty sure that's their name. Um, and this cover of Not the Red Baron is from their EP called What I Speak, I Create. I wish I could be like that. Mm what i pickle i eat what <laughs> what comes in a jar i consume all right here's a place both wonderful and strange with not the red baron
1: B side but really got she slipped in there <laughs> she slipped in and kicked another one off because it was a compassion for the men not the Red Baron held, holds so much compassion for the boys for me because as they're going down in their planes and, and they're they're crashing and as I started to see in some of the relationships with the men how when it was their turn to crash, their turn to scream their turn to face the um, pain that at that point I didn't want to kick them in the nuts anymore and there was nothing I could do because I was going through mine and they were going through through theirs and sometimes all you can do is just pat them on the head and give them a Guinness.
0: That was a clip from the newly recovered World Cafe from March 1st, 1996. Special thanks to Lisa Ridlon for digitizing that from Richard Handel's collection. What do you think about that quote? Many, many things. (laughs) (laughs) What uh, what do you think got kicked off? Yeah, I was gonna say let's address the elephant in the room. Yeah. what she talks about this being a B side that kicked off another song on the album, mm-hmm. but she's never mentioned what it kicked off. So David and I were like, we can't record this until we figure it out, and we couldn't come up with anything because most of the B sides on this album are short songs. So it's not like she was going to put this old man, for example, next to Agent Orange. Mm-hmm. Or samurai graveyard, graveyard next day. So why don't you give our second best guess, so I can take credit for the first best guess? Our set, well, what was our second
3: best? Frog guess? on my
2: toe, Fro- frog on my toe. That's right. Sorry, not sucker. No, no, no. Frog on my toe. Oh, sucker was my thought originally.
0: Yeah. Like,
2: yeah, nah, God, a
0: <laughs> oh yeah, you're a sucker. <laughs> I'm not a sucker. <laughs> oh, it changes the whole tone of the album. Um, but then our first best guess, we agreed, and it made sense. Alamo. Mm-hmm. We think Alamo was probably meant to be on the album. That would be my bet for sure. Yeah especially in this placement, because it seems, and she's been talking throughout, You'll and you'll hear this from clips throughout the season where she talks about how the track order sort of just revealed itself to her. Like they knew where they wanted to go. You know what I mean? Like they came and the horses very much knew she had to speak in this journey, stuff like that. So, so I mean, I guess the quote sort of addresses
2: this, but when she's making an album, do you think she knows right away certain songs are destined for B-side status cuz some, but sometimes i feel like everything is sort of up for grabs like anything could potentially be an album track
0: really except for samurai you know something like that that's why do you clearly hate samurai we got a, somebody uh, messages on instagram why does david hate samurai I'm like i can't tell you that i <laughs> no, don't know they why didn't. yeah they did i did swear they? to god yeah i don't hate samurai i was just saying that i would rather have an alternate
2: mix of a, you know, a major song then I'd rather have an improvised have them
0: both. kind of toss-off. I'd, how dare you? Be such you. a tosser. <laughs> don't call it a toss-off. <laughs> don't call it a comeback. Samurai's been here for years. <laughs> <laughs> Tori doesn't even know that it exists. <laughs> no. I think when she's writing them, I think she just writes them. And when it comes time to compile them for an album, and she's looking at it as a bigger picture, then I think she determines, like, oh, that's a B-side. But I don't think she, like, writes, for example... Um, cooling and knew it was going to be a B side. You know, I think she tried to get it on an album, and Cooling just didn't want to be on the record. She hides. Yeah, or but she likes being maybe live. maybe it was Cooling and and we'll just dis- well we talked about that too. Yeah, we'll dispute that. You know, we're gonna go on the Cooling episode about when it was recorded because we I think we both agree that it was recorded during the Choir Girl session. Yes, but it was written during the Pele session, mm-hmm. so maybe that's what she kicked off. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's another possibility. Alamo Cooling, and you have already said that you don't think it was Motormaid's. No, I don't. I think Motormaid's is something she was in the process of writing and abandoned. I don't think motor But that
2: definitely was recorded during the Pele sessions.
0: No, yeah, I mean, sorry, as were a lot of things. Yeah. I don't think it was I think she recorded it and then abandoned it. There's no production on it. There isn't, right? Yeah, so I think she was like, but, "Oh, we're not going to work on it."
2: Yeah, but it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily need additional production. She obviously could have thrown another solo piano song on this album. I guess I'm just looking at the list of like fully formed songs. Right.
0: Well, why not walk to the there are then? very few. I, I believe she's going to walk possible. to Dublin. It's possible. <laughs> yes. And so it forever shall be. So, we're our best guess is Alamo. Okay. Or or cooling. She could have finished cooling. Or she would maybe have been trying to get cooling into a place where it was ready, but it wasn't ready. Like right. in the writing, she's like, I can't, this is not going to go. This, this is, is happen. not happening. Yeah. It's yeah. not ready. She had to find her brambles. Too close to home. It's interesting because maybe I should hold this
2: for a donut song. But when Caton talks about recording his part, um, for this album, he talks about Donut Song specifically and says that the original title was Beyond the Pale and that he got it on a tape of demos mm-hmm. and that it was going to be a B-side and that was something she gave him to sort of ease his way into mm-hmm. the project That's and right. it eventually
0: became an A-side. So mm-hmm. that happens. <laughs> yeah, it does happen. It definitely does happen. Like, But at that point that he got the stuff, she was done. You know, most of her stuff was done um, as a performer, as a player. Do you think she was kind of paranoid after Honey? She's like, I got to get this right. Uh, What's the yeah. one I'm going to regret kicking off? Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. And then we get to Doll Posse era where she just didn't kick anything off, huh? Am oh, I right? My God, You're on the album and you're on the album. You get a spot and you get a spot and you get a spot. Everybody in. It was her Oprah album. That's what I've always said yeah. about Doll Posse. Look under <laughs> your seat. It's Clyde. <laughs> So this track, Not the Red Baron, appears officially on the Boys for Pele album as track number 13. And it also made a couple of appearances throughout the rest of her career. Um, it appears on the original Bootlegs, Manchester 2005, and Legs and Boots, Boise 2007. It's pretty elusive. It wasn't on a piano. It wasn't on Gold Goldust. I'm, imagine that intro melody with the strings. Oh, that would have been great. Yeah. God. Maybe she overdosed on it on the Dewdrop Drop In tour. Maybe. Just didn't want to. <laughs> we'll talk about that. So how do you feel about this song, David? What are your thoughts? This is
2: probably, or it definitely is, in my lower tier of songs from this album.
0: That's not what you said on my text messages this morning. Well,
2: you don't normally say things like that on the show, though, so I was trying to be a little more <laughs> diplomatic about it. David said something very rude about this song on my phone. I said that this and Agent Orange are kind of a one-two low-point punch for me. But I think over time, um, that's one of the reasons why Under the Pink has pulled ahead as my personal favorite Mm. album. Like, I don't think Under the Pink has any weak songs on it obviously there are songs That's i like right. more than others mm-hmm. but i could absolutely live with agent orange not existing oh, or being uh, on the album and it would be fine this is news to me ladies just and gentlemen saying, you're as shocked as i saying, am i don't actively hate it like it's just
0: fine um i have grown to love not the red baron over the last 22 years but especially over the last 22 hours <laughs> I've really grown to fully understand the song I think and appreciate the song in a way I never have before this album just keeps giving like 22 years later however however long it's been now it's still revealing itself to me and I never had thought like you too much about this song it wasn't one of my favorite tracks it was just kind of a filler for me mm-hmm. um, but I always was under I was always curious as to why she played it so many times on that tour like what it meant and i knew there was another layer and i finally feel like i've peeled back that other layer and like begun to understand the song so i'm very excited to talk about it because it's like the newest part of boys for paleo to me and what i didn't mention on the last episode to lula was when she says goodbye i know my baby i gotta go You know that part? Oh. I always thought she said goodbye. I you know, my baby, a glitter girl. I I had never realized she said gotta go. (laughs) So that was like the newest part of boys. I was like, Are you kidding? I've had this misheard lyric for twenty two years. Oh man. And now this song, this I'm very excited about it because I never thought I would mine and get something fresh out of this album ever again. And here it is. Just keeps on giving.
2: I'm having little epiphanies like that with every episode we do, though, just talking about the song. But not so. a
0: full track like that. You know what I mean? Like where it's like, oh, my God. You a
2: totally new appreciation
0: I do. for it. Yeah. I do. Maybe it's the point. And we haven't even talked about it. I know. You got well, and we've exhausted own. our time. <laughs> Should we just, I know, are we done? Should we just go to Sizzler? Don't start with me. Do not toy with my heart.
2: I guess kind of going back to what I was saying, I love the sentiment of the song and specifically when she talks about the place that it holds and why she felt it needed to be there to sort of um, see things from the other side. So uh, I love the idea of the song more than I love the song itself in terms of melody it's I'm again maybe I'll change my mind but it's just kind of forgettable and meandering to me. Hmm. Um, but it's interesting um, when she talks about having compassion for the men, um, and to me that's kind of an interesting sort of flip side to Pretty Good Year, where Tori has mentioned not having pity or sympathy. For men who are struggling or can't figure out what a woman wants, or who oh, don't, yeah. who aren't enough for themselves, um, and no matter what what one does, you can't fix them. I think that's a lot of the thread that's running through pretty
0: good years. So it seems like she's being a little more generous. Here because on a Pretty Good Year, Greg writes her a letter. A real life Greg supposedly wrote her a letter mm-hmm. saying, with this greasy drawing of himself with yeah. flowers, saying, I don't know what I'm women 22 want. 22 and my right. life is over, yeah, and I can't figure out what you women want. And then and... throughout the tour, she was like, No sympathy. Yeah. No pity. No pity, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then she would play the song. You're right. And I think this, honestly, let's talk about this song, the way it was born. The song was born as an improv. She was playing, and how you hear it was how she played it for the first time. Mm -hmm. I think she's having that epiphany, or that compassion, or that realization, or that change from Pretty Good Year in this moment. And I think that maybe is why it's so meaningful to her, in a way. Like, this maybe was the moment that you hear live to tape that she began to have compassion for Eric and what she put him through. Do you think she's processing on that level
2: as she's, I'll say, channeling the song? Like, do you think she's also having sort of an intellectual experience of it as it's coming through? Or do you think it's only after if she's like, I don't know what the hell that was. And then she listens back to it and she was like, oh, okay. And then she can kind of figure out what she was saying.
0: Only from my experience As a director, can I answer that I don't think she's having the intellectual experience? Because sometimes you are just like in the moment creating something and Mm -hmm. something happens. You're like, oh, and then you go and analyze it and you figure it out later. But Mm -hmm. I and I and you have said you've been on record saying that you don't think certain things that she's said were improvs in the moment actually were. You think that like, for example, Marianne, she maybe sketched it out in her head or before she actually put it to tape for the first time. Mm -hmm. But you believe this is a total improv. Like I can hear the difference.
2: I absolutely can. Um, and one of the giveaways for me is that there's a fade up on it. So I definitely, you can just see oh, yeah. her noodling around as the crew was during doing whatever. Mm-hmm. And who knows how long that was going on before she, you know, started singing or launched into the lyrics. But I mean, same thing with Over It over it as instrumental, but I
0: really think she was just, you know, I'll say messing around on the piano, which is, you know... Same thing with the Playboy Mommy demo. You're right. When it's coming as an improv in the moment, you're right, there generally is a fade-up. That's a good ear, David. Because <laughs> she doesn't ever start... I mean, there, what are the other fade-up songs? Liquid Diamonds, but that's not... <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. We'll get there. Um, from the Boston Globe, January 19th, 1996, Tori says, that's the moment when I began to have compassion for boys again. See? I had read that quote earlier, but it just clicked to me like that is the actual moment. That's the moment when I began to have compassion for boys again. There was no joy anymore when I saw guys in my crew. See, and here's the thing. Her crew is Mark and Marcel and Rob. So a man she's falling in love with or has fallen in love with, but at least falling in love with more while they're recording this album, right? Let's think about that for a second. Recording an album or working on a piece of art about something... In your past or someone in your past with the person in your future Mm -hmm. with that person that you're actively pursuing how interesting to do that
2: yeah and it's i mean we've talked about this on a couple of episodes and it doesn't really matter what the timeline of their relationship Mm -hmm. was and it's really none of our business Mm -hmm. but i mean they were officially together during the making of this album right um but yeah what you said brought to mind something she said about Mark before, and maybe it was on the Under the Pink tour before they really got together, but I think he said something to her about um, the kind of men that she was dating mm-hmm. and why she was letting herself be treated mm-hmm. that way. That, and that yeah. was kind of like a, an epiphany for her. And she was like, oh, yeah, you're right. And here's like a nice guy yeah. that I've been kind of not really seeing who's oh.
0: pointing out that I deserve to be treated better. So. Oh. that's the moment when I began to have compassion for boys again she says there was no joy anymore when I saw guys in my crew crashing and burning over their love for a girl who was just urinating all over them and I went oh I've just been on the other side of this whatever the realization in that moment it was just compassion that made me want to wipe the hair off their brow and give them a Guinness that was always a popular move I don't know that she I mean I don't venture to say but I think it had a lot to do with the fact that she was falling in love with Mark that allowed her to have compassion for Eric working on this piece that was so motivated by her breakup. You see things differently when you're falling in love. Yeah. Um, She goes on to say, my crew teaches me a lot. They recorded this album live with me. And though I would be having battles on different fronts, the road crew would let me into this world of boys where it was safe and I could see it from their side of things. Like I just said, I don't think she would have had this realization if not for this intimate relationship she was forming.
2: Mm. It's easy when you're coming from a place of hurt, I guess, to not want to even consider that the other person involved has a perspective um, or their own experience. You just kind of want to close yourself off to that Mm -hmm. and stick to the narrative that you were wronged somehow and not take responsibility for anything. Uh So, again, I think that's why it's important that this song is on the album. Um, So I'm glad it's there for that reason.
0: This is a quote. You want to read this quote from B-Side Magazine, May, June, 1996? Ah, oh,
2: that amazing article yet again. Here mm-hmm. we go. Then, of course, in the record, we move into a whole other moment. Not the Red Baron is the moment of compassion for all the men on the record. It's where I could see their planes crashing. I could see that they have a side too. And if their planes would crash, I started to gain compassion for their side of it. But I'm still acknowledging the war with Agent Orange, the idea of the war. Should we talk about this idea of the war? Mm-hmm. Okay. Talk about it. <laughs> yeah. She mentions war in the context of this album several times. And the first time she talks about it is regarding Blood Roses when she says, you know, when she says, I think you're a queer. Well, I think you're a queer and I've shaved every place where you've been, boy it's very clear that the war has begun. You've just walked into the record and the war has begun. The blades are out and she's become a piece of meat in her mind. So from the beginning of the record on, it's really obvious that you're walking into not what is going on on top of the table. The conversation with the rose at the dinner of the couple, but what's really going on in the couple. So I guess there's this idea of a war happening behind closed doors or or whatever that is. But she mentions it enough times that it's uh, there's obviously a thread of it here on the album but i don't that's something else that i don't necessarily see and it seems like she kind of throws this out as a soundbite um like well yeah not the red baron agent orange those are clearly war references and there's a war happening on this album but there are so many themes and complexities happening here on this album and war is just not one that pops to me or makes a lot of sense yet,
0: at least before we talk about it. I see clearly the war, the war that goes on in a relationship when you're falling out of love. You know, the idea that you are doing terrible things to the person that you say that you love. And that's the war. And she's the war's over by not the Red Baron. The plane's crashing down, realizing that he was fighting a war on his side and, and what she put him through... That's a huge step in this album. That's a huge step in the realization of healing on the journey. And I think that ever since, you know, the album has turned on its axis and it's a journey towards healing, I think there's a crucial step there. But yeah, I see the war. As far as the references that you're saying, like Red Baron being a war reference and Agent Orange being a chemical of war, maybe that is a soundbite or I don't know, but I feel like it's very purposeful.
2: Yeah, I just feel like the idea of looking at a relationship as a war sort of the demise of a relationship yeah but not the relationship the demise of a relationship okay but to me that kind of minimizes and oversimplifies what's really happening on this album here for me and that sort of takes it down to a level of he said she said i
0: don't know it just seems a little silly to me i don't think it's minimizing the way i see it anyway i think it's accurate yeah it's a battle against dark forces to heal yourself to get to know who you are yeah, and you've got to go back to the, to your history. Like, why am I this way? What made me this way? And to look at yourself and then to ch- and then to see what's wrong with you and then to change it, that's a war. That's a war you're fighting within yourself. Well,
2: I'm, yeah, that makes sense to me, but I don't think that's exactly what she's saying here. But I'm comfortable with, uh, I don't know, a war reference, I guess, if I think about it in terms of, yes, a war that she's fighting with herself in terms of how did I get here? how did I allow myself to be treated this way, or whatever it is, that it it always, to me, comes back to, let's say, Tori, the narrator, whoever. Again, like, not making it about the men or a specific man, I don't know. That quote, I don't know, that idea of war on this album just doesn't resonate with me
0: personally, for whatever reason, but... Have you you've never have you ever been in a bad relationship? Not like catastrophically bad. Well, you say that as if they don't happen. Uh, and no, I'm here to say I, no, I'm not saying that at all, obviously. <laughs> it's funny because I'll, I'll speak from experience sadly. You know, I hate to talk about my most recent relationship again, but it was real psychological warfare. I, I know that sounds dramatic, but it was. There was a lot of things that we were doing to each other that were messed up. Were you aware that that was happening as it was playing out or only after the fact? Yeah, but I felt like I was being, I felt like my plane was going down in flames. (laughs) Not that it has to be about
2: one person, but we usually do kind of always bring it back to Eric. And I have a hard time reconciling these quotes about war with the other way she's described and talk about that relationship. She doesn't really talk about them mistreating each other or having a lot of conflict um again maybe she's sort of trying to soften it but she just says that like it was a mutual agreement and to grow we needed to go our separate way she's not like well that shit really hit the fan
0: and we really i mean maybe but yeah i mean it did though you know it did even though she's not really talked about specifics and i'm glad she hasn't and it's none of our business but you know through what she said in certain interviews and on stage in 94 that things were not good you know and then I think the reflection was we decided to go our separate ways and mm-hmm. there was a mutual agreement. I think that was the, the cleanup. And plus, remember those, those interviews were being done in 96 after this album was written and after the compassion had come True. and after the healing had happened. So, right, fair enough. In Vanity Fair, on November 16, 2016, Tori says, I think she isn't only singing about World War I. I think that's the entry point, but I think it continues to this day. I think she has her red ribbons, and I think she really tries to wrap people up when they're exhausted and they're arguing, because it's in dialogue and it's in compromise and listening, where transformation occurs instead of war. Talk about that.
2: When she says she... Is she talking about the song, the way she sometimes personifies songs, or is she actually talking about the voice of the character that's singing in the song? I think song? she's talking about the
0: devil with halo and beautiful capes mm. that brings the men to the flames. Okay. Yeah, that character that's in the song, that beautiful image.
2: Yeah, I think that's very insightful for her to say because it's in dialogue and it's in compromise and listening where transformation occurs. Yeah, A lot of problems can be solved by communicating (laughs) openly, but it's true. And you can't really do that unless you're willing to at least hear the
0: other person's side. So... Very true. From the Deluxe Edition, reissue Liner Notes. She says, Back to the fire and to the idea that these pilots would be taken into the flames with these winged sirens. And they'd wrap them in these beautiful red ribbons. I don't know where that vision came from, but I was being haunted by the war and the casualties from that war. Ugh, the war. So the casualties from the war are the men that she's got laying at her feet, right? So then the war is her against these men. So she's maybe talking about the war she's been fighting against these men without their knowledge that she's slaughtering these men and slaughtering these possibilities and slaughtering these good relationships and they're just laying at her feet and that's the war you know so you think
2: when she says i was being haunted by the war and the casualties from that war she's talking about that kind of metaphorical war not that she got to be in her bonnet about world war 1 and was doing a lot of reading, and kind oh, of no. got obsessed with it. No. Just checking, because N- that's no. possible, too. I mean, it's like possible. another, I've always been fascinated by World War
0: I and the beheading of Anne Boleyn type situation. I think she's talking about the war that she's fought all her life. I think you're right, but I just wanted to check. This song, she hasn't talked about it much. That's all. Those are all the quotes that we were able to mine. What do you think that is? Why she hasn't talked about it?
2: Yeah. I don't know. It's very strange, especially because when... There's a song that was kind of born in recording. She addresses it quite often or Mm -hmm. says, I have to relearn the song Mm -hmm. like Marianne Mm -hmm. or whatever that is. So I don't know unless she just decided to tell that story about Marianne and didn't want to keep telling it a similar story about
0: another song on the album. Um, About the recording process, um, Marcel Van Limbeek speaking about the recording process from Tori Amos in the Studio by Jake Brown. Jake says, Van Limbeek was blown away by Tori's more spontaneous, creative moments during recording. In one instance, they had a new microphone that needed checking out and asked Tori to test it. We said, Tori, we need you to check this mic out, but we can't go straight into record. We need to check the mic first. But the one thing about Tori is, anytime she sits down, you always press record. So she started singing into it, and out of the blue, not the Red Baron, had never existed before that moment. And there it was. In fact, you can actually hear me talking in the background, because I was next to her, talking to Mark, talking to Mock, who was in the control room. I was setting up the preamp level, so you can hear me talking in the background. But she does that at live shows as well, where she suddenly has this inspiration, and then there's a new song. Well, that is
2: a pretty incredible period, the fact that she's able to do that. But just kind of that, I'll say, synchronicity of the song that has this, you know, uh, idea of war and, and pilots. And then coincidentally, in air quotes, they're speaking on their headsets and it conceivably sounds like pilot chatter,
0: um, which is just the perfect thing for I think, this song. I think there's maybe a little processing on their part to add to that idea that it sounds like air traffic mm-hmm. control channels. oh sure yeah so there's a little processing on their talking yeah. but it was a clearly coming through the monitor I feel like that was the inspiration right there mm-hmm. you know it's, mm-hmm. she heard that through the headpiece or through whatever was playing and she said that sounds like like without even consciously realizing it maybe that that sounds like air traffic control and then mm-hmm. that's where not the red Baron the line came from mm-hmm. and then we have that have that really
2: authentic moment of what language. No Dutch, and the way she says it is so weird. No Dutch, like (laughs) (laughs) because she's in the middle of playing and she's got her head thrown back. I'm (laughs) assuming. I love that. That I've said this before. You're like, well, yeah, she had no choice. It was on the recording, but she could do another take or take that part out, David. But like the knocks on the piano and something like this, or the (laughs) hand. At the end of Tallulah,
0: I love that. <laughs> the witchy cackle. I love that that's all here. I posit that she played this song so many times that somehow this song was related to her love for Mark and maybe the first love song she wrote for him. And I posit that that's why she played it so many times on the Do Drop-In Tour. She played it 107 times and we'll get there. I posit this song means more to her and Mark, this was the first time you have to remember that Mark, who's recording with Tori for the first time, sees her do something like this, you know, like, wow, she's incredible. She just did a whole song out of thin air. And like this maybe takes them back to this incredible moment that the two shared because Mark is on the other side of the mic recording it. She's playing it. This is a moment between the two of them. I posit that she plays this. This is maybe the first love song she wrote to Mark. And you think that's why she played it so why often? She, yeah, I think it means more to her than we know.
2: That's possible. I still think a lot of it has to do with her wanting to hold that space of compassion for men. And she pretty much always paired it with Precious Things. It was sort of the, the, the breath after Precious Things, which was kind of, you know, like an exorcism. And there's a thread through that song of um, painful experiences going back all the way to childhood. A lot of them with men I guess so it was kind of like the other side of the coin after precious things to have compassion for men who've had their own painful experiences and to not forget that
0: it's true for them too I mean that's a really great take on it I just think that that is a special song between them somehow I just get the sense I don't know do you think it disappears
2: when they are having conflict in their relationship oh interesting I wonder I actually think space dog does (laughs) Because there were like long periods where she didn't play it.
0: Interesting.
2: Um, I think she retaliates by withholding songs, not sex. She does
0: that to me. I know, right? (laughs) Right. No, she got mad at me once and didn't play Snowblind. Oh my God. Stop using Snowblind as a weapon. Um, You want to read this quote from B-Side magazine, your favorite magazine from which to read quotes, and your favorite issue of the magazine from which to read quotes. I know. It's
2: almost as good as Take to the Sky issue (laughs) 9. Major Um, 96 B-Side magazine. Mark Hawley said, no demos were done for any of the songs on Pele. Basically, two or three songs on the album, and many of the B-Sides were written as you hear them there. Marianne and Not the Red Baron. The first time she ever played them, and the first time we ever heard them, was the performance that you hear. The whole recording process was really special for that reason. Why do you have an issue with that quote? I don't have an issue, necessarily, and we've already talked about this. But I have a little bit of a problem with the idea that no demos were done for any of the songs. Again, we have Kayton telling us that she gave him a tape of demos, including an early version of Donut Song with a different title. And I still maintain that Fire Eater's Wife Beauty Queen is pre-Pele recording sessions when she's working stuff out. And that Mm -mm. is not from the recording sessions in the church. And that is
0: absolutely a song sketch demo. That's all I have to say. Okay, have a nice day. (laughs) I took Kayton's comment to mean that she sent him stuff that they'd already recorded to L.A. before he got to Ireland so that he could start to think about it, but that they were already in the recording sessions. That's how I took it. Let's do the line-by-line, David, shall we? Okay.
1: What language? No, Dutch. Why
0: do you think she included? Because I think it was integral to the birth of the song. I think it's what sparked her in the direction. Because she probably was just playing, and then Mm -hmm. she said that, and then she just started singing. So it doesn't necessarily tie any way into the narrative of this song. Yeah, I think it does. I think it is the kicking off point. I think it's the inciting incident of this story.
2: I mean, we could dig real deep here and say maybe it's indicative of... When you're in a war, let's say, with someone and you feel like you can't communicate with them or understand them at all and they're speaking a different language.
0: Interesting. We could. We could. But let's not. But let's not. (laughs) Not Who was the Red Baron? And shall we get into this? I suppose we should. Manfred Albrecht Freiherr von Richthofen, nicknamed the Red Baron, was a fighter pilot with the German Air Force during World War I of the 11th Chasing Squadron. He is considered the ace of aces of the war, being officially credited with 80 air combat victories. So he was a big bad dude. I'm going to ask you something silly right off the
2: bat. Okay. That we know the answer to and we can eliminate right away, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. There are two ways you could look at the line, not the Red Baron, as in you are not the Red Baron, or like, not the Red
0: Baron, like you got bad news about the Red Baron. (laughs) No. I go to the line at the end, not anyone I really know. Right. So saying it's not him. It's not the Red Baron. It's not someone skilled in the plane. It's just a guy. The Red Baron, he was a... Consider the ace of aces. So he knew how to fly a plane. He can mm-hmm. get out of, he can dodge your words. He can dodge your razor blades and your biscuits. But he, this guy's not the Red Baron. I'm sorry. Is that an expression? Dodge your razor blades and biscuits? Whatever. She was talking about making biscuits or cookies with okay. razor blades in them. <laughs> like, the Red Baron would be able to that expression I haven't heard? No, he'd be able to <laughs> sniff him out and say, not today, sweetheart. <laughs> but this guy's not the Red Baron. He's just another pilot down. But that's not like an insult necessarily. Like yeah. we're not the Red Baron. No, no, like I don't think just, it's an insult. Yeah, okay. I don't think it's given as an insult either. Okay. N- neither do I. Okay. So I have to point out that
2: this is at least the second World War One reference on the album, after Kaiser Wilhelm in Zebes, So I, you know, I guess there's this thread of war, or at least references to war, specifically World War One, mm-hmm. through just like she album. Said there was. So I know. <laughs> Well when Tori speaks about her own album, maybe we should listen on occasion.
0: I don't know. <laughs> I mean we've spent more time working on Boys for Pele than she ever did, so <laughs> Burn.
4: Not Brown.
0: I think this is just kind of a stream of conscious reference to because of Snoopy in the plane with the hat and wasn't the thing called the Red Baron? Well, apparently Snoopy was fighting the Red oh, Baron. Oh, fighting the Red Baron. I think, Baron. yeah. So I yeah. think it's just a kind of a cultural reference that she has. So when she said, she was just playing, right? So if she says not the Red Baron, the you know, not Charlie Brown just seems to have be the next stream of conscious thought. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. That's, okay. you know, just mention of the Red Baron automatically leads
2: one who's very cultured right. <laughs> with highbrow <laughs> tastes and references to think of Snoopy. Hi. But for sure, Snoopy's I think like... that's where she's coming from. Can I say a little bit something else about that? Yeah. I mean, this is probably kind of silly and I absolutely don't think that this is where she's coming from with the song, but that's okay because, you know, sometimes songs have unintentional meanings Mm -hmm. and layers that Snoopy's battles with the Red Baron were all imaginary, right? They were like these wild fantasy sequences Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. would take place. And so I kind of like the idea that this particular battle is also imaginary, or happening all in her head mm. and that the idea of war or againstness and me versus him is just all let's say Tori's stuff mm-hmm. that she's choosing to hold that way but really the only battle she's fighting is with herself.
0: Interesting.
2: I'm absolutely sure that in the moment, that's you know not, <laughs> not at all what, what she of. was thinking. But that's I a really good like parallel. It. Yeah, it's really nice. Who knew Snoopy could teach us? So well, much. I
0: did. Have you ever seen, read the last week of Peanuts comics? No. Oh God, they're devastating. Really, Marcy? It's a bloodbath. Yeah. No, I mean like uh, Peppermint Patty's final appearance in the Peanuts comics is devastating. I'll put it on my Facebook. I'll reinstate it as my cover image on my personal Facebook. I think it's kind of interesting that we have a reference
2: to a message or deciphering a message or figuring something out here and later
0: again on, on Donut Song. Mm-hmm. So what do you think that means? Maybe Donut Song was already in her head. Maybe they were recording it around the same time. Mm-hmm. So some of the same lyrics, you know, some of the same ideas and she's pulling things out of her head as she's improving. So maybe the phrase message, your message, that message was important to her. For whatever the story is that they were working on. But as far as in the narrative of this song, yep. what well, pairs to me with this next line,
4: another pilot,
0: down. another pilot down, another man that I slaughtered. The message is it's me. It's not them necessarily, or the message is I have a hand in these things. And I think I got the message. I think I figured it out now. I think that that's what that means. What okay. You-
2: I think I got the message figured or the idea of trying to decipher someone's... Um, a message just for me really captures the feeling of maybe helplessness you can have when you're in a relationship that's falling apart and everything means something or you feel like you're not communicating and you're trying to get a handle on how the other person is really feeling and maybe what they're going to do. That's just kind of what it embodies for me.
4: And I-
0: To me that's one of the most beautiful images on the album the idea of these sirens these devils that have halos gorgeous women that are there to lure the men to their demise and that to me really strikes me as a self-reflective image of her you know how she sees herself here in this telling of the story or this version or this this angle of the story
2: I love the imagery of a devil with a halo. Mm-hmm, me too. And I think...
0: But that's not enough for me. Devil with a halo and a beautiful cape. Who doesn't love a cape? Oh, my God. Do you think capes will ever come back in fashion? I hope so, but what color do you think this cape is? I always think of it as red. Red. Yeah. It's gorgeous, like velvet or, like, or satin. Oh, but beautiful, beautiful devil. But I love the imagery
2: of a devil with a halo because it's kind of a way of saying like we're all there's two sides to all of us. Mm -hmm. It's easy to think of someone as the villain in the story or the one who's done something to you. But it's never quite that simple. Like we're all capable
0: of doing wonderful things and doing horrible things, too. So and presenting yourself in the best possible light when inside you're really not a great person. You always show someone your best side when you're drawing them in that's true you give them like the top shelf stuff you don't want to reveal all your flaws and insecurities and everything else yeah totally Um, here's a clip from World Cafe March 1st 1996 um, here where she's talking about this particular image of the devils and halos and capes here we go
1: Yet this song really became about uh, and all there devils with halos and beautiful capes taking them into the flames Taking them into flames And I saw these lovely women Ushering the men with the tears to their next place Always connected to fire Always all of us trying to find our own fire
0: It's not even the idea of this being with a halo that's a devil There's this whole metaphysical thing that's happening in this uh, image if I want to destroy you, I'm going to destroy you. And I love that picture that it paints. Mm. Maybe someone has, but I'd love for someone to paint this and then send it to me at my home and I'll put it on my wall. Looking at this quote
2: now, again, I love when we do this Eve and I sort of like feel my way into the song a little bit more, but I'm particularly loving the placement of this song after "Tulula." Thinking about the conversation we had where at the end of "Tulula." the, the lyric switches to he's brand new to you. And we talked about kind of having um, almost gratitude for the time that you had together and sort of wishing the other person well mm-hmm. in the next phase of their life or their next adventure or whatever mm-hmm. that is. And that sort of brings me to this quote here that ties into that where she's talking about lovely women ushering the men to their next place. It's almost like um, a graceful ushering of people who've meant something to you mm-hmm. Into the next thing mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily involve you, but hoping that, you know, it all works out well for them.
0: I also see looking at, he's brand new now to you, bringing that up, looking at this man through new eyes, he's brand new and now I can see what he went through also. It was always all about me, but he's brand new now and I can see through his eyes mm-hmm. in a way that I never have been able to before. Yeah, I love that. That's perfect.
2: Perfect pairing the sentiment of that song into into Not the Red Baron. That's mm-hmm. really nice.
4: Not Judy, G. Judy Garland, June 10th, 1922
0: through June 22nd, 1969, was an American singer, actress, dancer, and vaudevillian. During a career that spanned 45 of her 47 years, Garland attained international stardom as an actress in musical and dramatic roles, as a recording artist, and on the concert stage. Isn't she also referenced in Happy Phantom? She is. Yeah. What's her obsession with Judy Garland? Obsessed. She's also referenced on the uh, Jules Holland show in 95, the first press she did for this album. He shows her a clip of Judy Garland singing for the troops. Remember? I do remember. Yeah.
2: Maybe people should look forward to our Over the Rainbow episode (laughs) for more about Judy Garland. Okay, fine.
4: Not Jean, Jean, Jean.
0: Um, it's not the Red Baron. It's just another guy. It's not some spectacular woman. It's just another girl. Mm-hmm. It's not Judy G. It's not Jean Harlow. It's not some amazing. It's just some girl. Oh. Uh, There's a little wordplay for if it is Jean Harlow. Maybe. With a hollowed heart. You've really opened me up to this idea of either
2: wordplay or just Tori having mush mouth with harmony harmony harlow hallowed with a gene harlowed heart i mean does does harlow become hallowed kind of yeah i think yeah. she's playing with it yeah there was another example of that too the o deep old deep o d Odee ravine yeah
0: whatever yeah
2: or i mean i'm sure it's gene harlow but um it could also be another marilyn monroe reference to norma jean oh that's um, true no one really yeah. knows marilyn monroe as gene mhm barely norma Jean, so i'm sure that's really not not who she's referencing but it's possible that you know marilyn monroe popped up earlier on the album and and here she is again
4: mm-hmm. so do so
0: you think she's talking about a movie screen maybe i don't know i don't know actually never thought about it what kind of screen a windscreen a window screen flying off your world war one plane
2: <laughs> no I get like coming so you know following immediately these references to Judy G and Jean Harlow question mark but probably I don't know I can't shake the idea that it's anything but a movie screen now okay um the idea that these women are also being destroyed by themselves mm-hmm. or that we're all battling something and having our own challenging experiences
4: I guess
0: and that never occurred to me.
4: With every step, with every beautiful heel pointed.
0: I think that's crucial to understand. Whatever the screen is that's going down in flames, whatever, however it's happening, the woman that's doing it has got her beautiful heels on and they're pointed. It's, it's a, sort of like a ballet dance, sort of like a planned out, elegant, graceful, in her way of doing it. Every beautiful heel pointed to me is a lady. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's crazy that just sort of dichotomy that's coming out of this character.
2: But I can also see female soldiers kind of marching,
0: but also wearing high heels. Mm, because this that's is, a great this image. This is Tori we're talking about, so. Yeah. Oh my God. Tori should have done a video at some point in her career and maybe still could where there's a female army and they all have like camo on but they all have red heels let's do it oh my god we should yeah we'll just do our videos we also boogie have
2: boogie his- woogie bugle boys for pele <laughs> no no
0: i mean it's <laughs> no wait wait don't tour me hey <laughs> that's a great title uh, and guess what if you put it in hashtag no one else has ever used it before not the
4: red barren, i'm sure no
2: Snoopy. Not so. Snoopy. <laughs> not
4: anyone I really know. Just another pilot down.
0: So that to me is really important. It's not anyone I really know. It's just another pilot down. I never got to know him. I never concerned myself that he was having an experience of his own.
2: That, or maybe this is also a moment of kind of, let's say, universal sympathy for men in general, mm. including the ones mm-hmm. <laughs> she doesn't really know. Yeah. But that it's really kind of again, sort of not not a love song, but you know, the song honors all of the men who've had their versions of what Tori's processing mm-hmm. right
0: now. So hmm.
4: maybe um
0: I think this line is really important in her healing process. It's not the last song on the album, obviously. And I think that she does continue to sing songs about this relationship and healing from it. But maybe I'll just sing him a last little sound. Seems so very final. You know, she's tipping her hat and she's honoring him. I never understood him the way I understand him now. And so I'll salute that and salute him and salute that he had his experience that i had a hand in as well yeah i think you're right
2: that there's something loving in it like i'm putting you to rest but i'm gonna sing you to sleep i agree it's not full of anger and rage and resentment it's having made peace with everything that happened and again looking back on it with a kind of fondness yeah and gratitude even gratitude for sure do you think not the red baron and graveyard share some dna because there we have Sing You to Sleep mm. in the graveyard mm-hmm. an idea of death there and here we have another pilot down maybe I'll just sing him a last little sound
0: it's really sad
2: I think these songs are linked those two songs are linked in some way
4: Many
0: I think this goes hand in hand with another pilot down. There's many men, not anyone I know that I really know. There's just these women drawing countless men in. What do you think?
2: These girls with red ribbons are benevolent figures, Mm -hmm. ushering men with compassion Mm -hmm. to kind of the next world, right? They're not like condemning them to death or dooming them or slaughtering them. I don't think they're like sultry sirens destroying men. At this point, aren't they kind of guardians of a kind,
0: ushering men across the threshold? So you see the girls with red ribbons as different than the devils with halos and beautiful capes. Is that what you're saying? Mm, Yeah, because I'm looking back at the quote. Take it into the flames with
2: these winged sirens and they'd wrap them in these beautiful red ribbons. So not necessarily. I kind of see the angels as the winged sirens who also have these beautiful red ribbons. So, to me they they are not villains in this story. So, so the devils with
0: halos and beautiful capes aren't villains to you?
2: No, again, they're sort of ushering men across the threshold after their planes have gone down, let's say, but they're
0: not causing that to happen. I'm seeing it as they are causing it to happen. Because they're devils with halos and beautiful capes. They're enticing devils. They're beautiful devils taking them into the flame. So, yes, ushering them in. But I think causing it to happen, maybe. I'm just
2: seeing these characters as embodying the compassion that Tori's talking about. Interesting. Not destroying these men, but saying, Uh, again, holding that compassion and saying that the angel, these devils with halos... We can all hold the capacity for good and bad, but in this moment, I'm looking at you through compassionate eyes and um, I'm almost saying like, I'm sorry this has happened to you. So I'm here
0: to kind of lovingly usher you. That's not how I see it at all. I categorically disagree. All right. Because I feel like Tori herself is the one expressing compassion by recognizing that there are the women in charge of destroying the men that the devils are bringing them into the flames. So she's showing compassion by recognizing that they're not just going down in flames, but that there's a whole system at work bringing them into the flames. That's where I think the compassion goes in is that they have, they cannot fight it. They are helpless in the devils with halos wishes. They're helpless. They, what they want, they're going to get
2: I ultimately think I agree with you for sure. I think the mistake I was making, um,
0: I was so wrong. <laughs> there are no mistakes um, in song interpretation. I was David. sort
2: of looking at it as Tori casting herself as one of these. Um mm. one of these devils. I think she was. Yeah. Uh, I think she Yeah, is. but I don't I think she was or had the capacity to be for sure. But mm-hmm. in the context of the song, I do think she's an observer mm-hmm. here. And she's acknowledging that women are just as capable mm-hmm. of hurting men mm-hmm. as
0: men are of hurting women. I think yeah, I absolutely think that's what's happening.
3: Just I just be,
2: needed a
0: second.
3: No, no,
5: no, <laughs> I know.
0: And this is what we're here to do. We're here to work it out. Um, I just want to clarify, there are no wrong answers in song interpretations except for verb. Oh my God. So self-satisfied and smug. <laughs> yes, you are. So what's your favorite lyrical moment in this song, David? Good <laughs> question. Do you have a new
2: appreciation? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I really like not anyone I really know, just another pilot down. Mm-hmm. That's so sort of devastating mm-hmm. to me that mm-hmm. I think I would sort of pick that out as my favorite lyrical moment. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's two things I really love. One is not Charlie's wonderful dog. I don't know. There's just something about the phrasing of that. I love that. And I also, of course, love devils with halos and beautiful Mm -hmm. capes, taking them into the flames. Mm -hmm. God, there's a whole underworld out there that we know nothing about. We've been in the underworld this whole time. No, for two years. (laughs) I'm ready to come out to something lighthearted like from the Choir Girl Hotel. I know, right? Let's take a little break. We're going to play another cover. This is a cover of Not the Red Baron by Anina. And we'll be right back to wind down with Paul Roy Taylor. Are you ready, David? Thank God, because I think my line by line is a teardown.
4: Not the Red Baron Not Charlie think I got the message figured Another pilot down And other devils with halos in beautiful kings? Taking names
2: I didn't know you uncorked box wine. Shut
3: up.
0: <laughs> that is an actual bottle of Apothic Crush. David, has that water over there? <laughs> <laughs> gotta stay sober to make those I jokes. I keep my eye on you, too. I need my wits about me. Um, David has to stay sober to make his witty jokes, and we're here with Paul Roy Taylor. Hi, Paul Roy. Hello, boys. We're ready to wind down? Wind down. Okay. Talk to us about Not the Red Baron while I drink this wine.
6: Not the Red Baron is one of my favorite songs. It's one of my favorite songs on Pele as well. Oh, is it in your top 10? It is in my top (gasps) 10. You know what that means, David?
4: You go, girl.
6: that's
0: our sound. Is that for top 10? That's for top 10 only. Okay. We save that clip for top 10 only. It's
6: (laughs) coveted. So anyway, talk to us. Um, Okay. So not the Red Baron is in the category of Tory songs. And there are only three that I call her incantational songs. Okay. So I want to see if you can guess what the other two are. So think about how Tori plays, right? There's the a sort of fairy tale kind of playing, there's the Cars and Guitars sort of playing, there's the not the Red Baron sort of playing, there's the Carbon sort of playing, there's the Forest of Glass sort of playing. Okay. How would you qualify the Cars and Guitars playing is that where she just cha 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 Yeah, it's like melody chord, melody chord. It's okay. not, not very okay. interesting. Okay. Well, some people might find that interesting. Go ahead. Okay, so think about like incantational, meaning like she's going into a trance okay. and the piano playing is very languid. Okay. Um, so any guesses what the other two might be? Okay. Now that you've explained it, an incantational playing where she's going into a trance and the piano
0: playing is almost secondary because it's languid and it's just sort of accompanying this trance. Yes. Oh, okay. How exciting. I love a game. Um, let me do my guesses first and then David will do his and then we'll see, you'll see who wins. You'll okay, be wrong, but it's Okay. Fine. I'm curious. Are they isolated to a certain era? Do we get any nope. hints? No more information? No, no, no. I don't need a hint. I, okay. I want to do it from the ground right. up. And, and question mark is this influenced at all by the fact that you know, for example, she wrote Marianne on the first take or whatever? No,
6: uh, that... a little bit. You're on the right track. Okay, so Marianne is one. No, okay. but you're on the right track. Okay, so okay. okay, okay, that was a that was a practice guess.
0: Okay, my first guess for it, for incantational songs is um, I'm gonna go with icicle.
6: No, ah, oh,
0: I'm not gonna go with icicle. Like I said, too late. <laughs> <Fine>. <laughs> Locked it in. Don't start with me. I'm going to go with, I, this doesn't include Over It and All the Girls Hate Her, right? No. Okay. So then I'm going to go with, here in my head. Let's move
6: on today. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh,
2: um, my first offering this evening is something I like to call Bells for Her. That's my oh, first guess. Okay, that's guess. a good one. That's Boom. I'm sorry. Um, that's correct.
0: It's, it's whatever. I hate this show.
2: <laughs> I don't think this is Right. But I'm thinking of like, especially Doll Posse era donut songs when there was like a really long intro that okay. was just piano where she would really vamp and kind of, it was like five minutes before she even started like the proper formal version of the song or, um, or part of the song. What else?
6: How many guesses do I get?
2: Mm-hmm. You got one, one
0: more.
6: Clock is ticking, David. I'm thinking.
2: Beep. <laughs> I'm happy with Bells for her.
6: <laughs> <laughs> bells for her and Smokey Joe. Oh, oh,
7: smoking. smoking I yeah, love okay. smoking
6: So show. I see not the red not the Red Baron as part of a trio of these like three incantational songs that if you think if you look at the piano on on all three of those, there it's entrancing. Like you can almost hear her kind of going into a trance on those songs. and of course, not the red Baron bells for her were improvs. Um, Smokey Joe has kind of that quality to it a little bit. Like, it's kind of repetitive. Yeah. For the record, I was going to say Bells for Her and Smokey Joe. <laughs> well, you didn't. But I was
0: going to. Those were my next guesses. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. <laughs> I like the way you think. I like that. I, and it, it kind of explains to me a little bit about how come the lyrics in, for Smokey Joe are different than the lyrics printed. Like maybe she would kind of sketched out, but when she played it, she just was accessing whatever. Um, I like that thought.
6: Makes sense. Yeah. And you know that like I like as a piano player, that's how I interact with her music. Like I actually don't listen to her music that much when I want to interact with the song. I play it. And with those three songs, um, and I can only speak for myself, but uh, they are sort of incantational when you're playing them. When, you know how I differentiated like her styles of playing? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, Not the Red Baron has this sort of. I can see how she improved that because how she's playing like you don't need to think about it. She's obviously a genius, you know, I mean, she doesn't need to think about it that much. But um, in the sense of how she's playing that song, when you're playing it as a piano player, you get really sucked in and you don't really have to think like when you're playing like uh, carbon or, or beauty of speed like you can't check out for a second like you have to be stuck in there not the red baron you can just kind of bells for her smoky joe you can just sort of like lose yourself in what you're playing something we talked about was the fact that on the album not the red baron is
2: one of the rare songs that has a fade in um and so we think that there's probably another big chunk of it that we'll never have but that again sort of is in line with what you're saying that maybe she was really just kind of feeling her way into what became the song was playing for quite a while before she got into the section that they chose to include on the album.
6: So probably. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, I missed the line by line. So just give me like the three sentence rundown of what you think this song means. I think the
0: song is about Tori looking at her prior relationships and for the first time seeing how she has maybe put them through something and is experiencing compassion for them as these women these beautiful devils with halos and beautiful capes are they're helpless in their in their grasp they're if these women want to take you down they'll take you down and she sees how she's done that and she's experiencing compassion for those men
6: okay
2: i kind of got to a place where i liked the idea of to some degree thinking of not the red baron as like the flip side of pretty good year where she's talked so much about not having any pity or compassion for men, but on "Not the Red Baron," it does hold compassion for men and their experience. And I like the the paradox of the angels with halos um, as these women. Tori kind of as a spectator in this song, and acknowledging that women are just as capable of hurting men as men are of hurting women, and so you can be an angel with a halo like you're. You're both things. No one's no one it's not as simple as someone being either all good or all bad like we all have the capacity to do great things or not so great things yeah. i guess so yeah i don't think this
6: song means anything oh. <laughs> oh. i think she heard a noise she heard some scrapey she scrapes. heard a noise and got scared <laughs> She's like, ah, just, not the Red no, no no she heard those like uh the... i think you're already drunk <laughs> that's what i think i don't think this song means a thing i think you're grasping but <laughs> And that's what I like. Well, about you don't it. Like, do a two-hour tour Amos
2: podcast without grasping from time to time. <laughs>
6: and I think this song two and a like, half hours, really right? proves that, like Marianne is not an improv. Like Marianne, then I,
0: I, I, crazy. yeah, I think Marianne is sketched out in her mind before. Yes. And when Mark says the first time she ever played it, the first time we ever heard it is what you hear on the record. I believe that to be true, but I don't think that she wasn't sitting in her house on, on the bridge up several months prior working out chords or thinking of a structure or maybe it was going through her head because it is Marianne is different than bells for her and uh not the red baron in the way toodles mr jim yeah like the in the way she improvs Mm -hmm. yeah Marianne is very structurally different and there's you know sections so i i agree with you i don't think it was a total improv but i do think maybe it was the first time she actually played it But I think she'd been working it out and like there I'll go to this change and yeah.
6: Yeah, there was a structure to it. That's just not how she improvs, but I digress.
0: I bet Brian Nash would say the same thing. I think he did say the same thing in his uh, over it. I think just to spite you, we should make this our longest episode ever. (laughs) (laughs) Just talk for three hours about how much this means. All the
2: profound meaning buried in this song and that it's the centerpiece of her entire career. (laughs) So you don't think it
0: means anything? I want to ask you a question, Paul Roy. You're a beautiful vision in, before me in a uh, blue horizontally striped T-shirt with faded black jeans and these <laughs> stunning lime wow. green booty socks. So what do you think about a vision? A beautiful, a, a devil with a halo in a beautiful red satin cape. You, what, is, what does this image mean to you? If this song means nothing to you. And she says, devils with halos and beautiful capes. Taking them into the flames. She's already established planes, not the Red Baron, not Charlie Brown. Uh, I think I got the message figure, another pilot down. So there's already we're already in the sky. And then she brings in she weaves in this image of devils, presumably in hell devils, with halos and beautiful capes taking them into the flames, bringing mm-hmm. the planes down. What then if the song means nothing? What does that image say to you or draw to you?
6: That image conjures to me when you meet somebody beautiful who seduces you. Yes. But just dis- tries to bring you down. Oh, yeah. destroys, it destroys you. you. Yeah. And they're all over. They are. <laughs> Do you guys think this song works live? Yes. Really? Not the Red Baron
0: has only revealed itself to me today and yesterday. Mm. As I've been thinking about it here and realizing I kind of understood why she played it live. And like, I really want to hear it now with this new appreciation and and understanding of it i would love to hear it again live mm. but
6: watching the live performances yeah i think it works live if you are a fan of the song i don't i don't know i th- like to think of it existing in the moment that she created it and that's that's where it should stay i mean I, it's not as though like i would be play mr zebra instead like i right. want to hear that one b- um but yeah it's never quite worked for me live really yeah i don't know why I think it's
2: so, when she performed it on Do Drop In anyway, almost every night, it was so similar to how it was on the album. I wouldn't say I don't think it worked, but it did kind of bring the shows to a screeching halt. (laughs) (laughs) What song do you think Tori kicked off for Not the Red Baron? Because she said that Not the Red Baron was originally going to be a B-side and that it it took something else's place. So what do you think this song, which has no n- 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 meaning <laughs> or value <laughs> <laughs> to you, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh,
0: what do you think it kicked off?
6: I had no idea that she actually... Uh,
0: yeah, you shook it. Like the f- expression on your face right now reveals what?
6: Well, I can't imagine the, the album without Not the Red Baron, so yeah. um, I have our get no our guess is yeah yeah absolutely well, you're, wait you're, he made what? us guess
0: and then humiliated well, us I'm, i know you're immediately going to like what tools mr jim how could that have been right next to agent Orange? <laughs> or like this old man right like she never would have done that no. so our best guess is alamo or frog on my toe or she was trying to work up cooling and
6: that's what she means like it just didn't want to be on the record cooling i guess but i sometimes think alamo might be an improv
3: But just because
0: Alamo may have been an improv doesn't mean she wasn't considering it for the album. Who wants to ask her? We need a listener, a devoted listener on the 2020 tour to
6: ask her. Anything else you'd like to say, Paul Roy, before we wind down? Um, Only that someone offered to sell me Percocet, Oxy, and Xanax while I was walking to your studio today. (laughs) Oh, that was Jamie. I know him. (laughs) (laughs) Paul Roy, thank you for coming in to wind down. How's the wine? Uh, Delicious. Thank you for your hospitality. You're welcome. Thanks, Paul Roy. (laughs) Bye, guys.
1: Bye. Boys for Pele. Boys for Pele. Boys for Pele. Baby.
7: (laughs) Not the Red Baron is probably the most sad song on the album, and it's also possibly, I think, the most beautiful. What I always love about this song is how it's really a moment of realization and the suffering of human life happening on both sides as opposed to being focused on simply the personal or the, in this case, uniquely feminine side. Taking a moment to acknowledge the men who are sent off to war to die while war is then glorified in media is a topic that you really never expect when you get into the album, but it's done very gracefully in the way it's poised against the way that women are equally sent down into the flames and the projections of media of what they must be and how they must obtain these ideals of perfection, I think is always really beautifully played against each other. The song is always so somber when I listen to it, and it's one that whenever those first few chords start, I like. Have to sit down because I know it's gonna be this one. My favorite lyrics in it probably are always uh, the third column repeat, where it's the other speaker speaking, and they say, "Not anyone I really know, just another pilot down." That bit always there really gets me a lot and sends home the message of how this kind of suffering can happen without any connection to it, yet we still find some way to try to have empathy for those people who have burned before us.
3: You've got mail.
5: Posted to RMTA on December 31st, 1998 by Myra. Subject: Tori the sellout. Caps Lock on. I have been a big fan of Tori for the past four years. I have been a very devoted fan. I saw four plug shows and I was told that the do-drop-in shows had more love in them. Is this true? I met Tori this year three times at meet and greets and each time I was very disappointed. She is nothing like she portrays in magazines and TV shows. Sometimes she even contradicts herself as if telling the interviewer what she or he wants to hear. Don't get me wrong, I love Tori's music, but she herself has lost something. Please respond.
8: Posted by Serafin, January 4th, 1999. Hello, Myra. I don't exactly know how to respond to this one. I suppose you should evaluate why you started liking Tori's music, and whether or not you think of her as a person will change how you feel the music. She is who she is, and even if she doesn't exactly fit your idealization or image of her, she is herself. And if that is disappointing, it is probably your own projection. I don't exactly know her every thought, I don't know anyone's every thought, but I hope and kind of know that as a person, she has integrity and respects herself enough to be honest in interviews. I really think you need to evaluate the reality of the situation, that she is a human being with her own personality and way of dealing with things. A human being none of us really know a lot about aside from what she lets us into and what she portrays herself as in magazines and TV shows, as you say, is simply how you view her, ya know? (laughs) I hope I am not sounding preachy or mean at all. I just don't think she herself, all caps, has lost anything. I think that perhaps she herself, again, all caps, never had something that you perhaps expected. Therefore, it's been lost to you. Ya know what I mean? About there being more love on the Pele tour... It all depends on your personal situation and viewpoint, and on what you are coming to the shows to get, or give. So yeah, I think I just rambled, but that is my take on it. Hope it helps. Smiley face emoji. Hugs. Emmy. Signed off. The girl with kaleidoscope hair.
0: So do you stand behind that today?
8: Yeah, actually. I was really, really shocked to read this. First of all, I completely forgot about this online persona. I mean, I knew about I remember AOL days, but I kind of forgot about RMTA, if you can believe it. Thank God we're here to remind you. I'm so grateful. But yeah, I definitely, I agree with it. I think I was actually like, all right, like 16, 17 year old me, like that's (laughs) a pretty mature way to approach this. Like she's her own person and I think people really project a lot onto their idols and onto musicians in particular. And that like, you know, this was me being like, we need to have boundaries and take responsibility for what's ours and and what might like, you know, what we need to work through on our own. And I don't know, I felt like actually pretty proud of my little baby self and also a little embarrassed that I was like so fucking up in arms
2: that really resonates with me cuz I feel like I am who I am I am myself and people are consistently disappointed by it
0: <laughs> <laughs> um it's my favorite part of this was I don't exactly know her every thought <laughs> I'd venture a
8: guess <laughs> I will say I was a hot mess during the 98 tour well I was a teenager you know I was like a fully a teenage. evolved
0: teenager according to this post
8: <laughs> I mean according to this post I was I had better boundaries than I thought I did but you know there's something going on when you're like crying at every show and like I don't know I was just a mess I was going through stuff at home I had a lot of like sort of not great family dynamics that I was sort of running away from and I think a lot of people think it's why a lot of younger people ended up at those shows and um, I hadn't been to therapy and like I hadn't worked that shit out so in that way I was just like a little bit of a mess and I do think, I, I know now, like I think the way that I've changed in relation to the shows is that I've I worked on some of that stuff and I don't like, I don't need as much from the shows. I don't need as much from Tori herself as a person. Like, I think back then I was like, mommy, like, save me. You know, I think there was a part of that in my like need to be at so many shows and to like talk to her all the time. And that is something that has changed about me. Like, I still respect her as a person. I also respect myself as a person more. And that feels like a big shift. Um, and that I don't need as much from her (laughs) as an individual as I once did.
2: I think we're pretty lucky in the sense that, um, you know, a pretty harmless post like this is the only thing one of the only things that would have been archived from our experience. Can you imagine if we'd been 18, 19 now and have it all on video, like forever? Every, every embarrassing thing said and done.
8: I think you're forgetting that I'm in the Bliss video, like sobbing. Oh. <laughs> but... <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. On
0: that note, um, do you still have kaleidoscope hair, Emmy? <laughs> no. <laughs>
8: nah, I'm boring.
0: Um, thank you so much for being on our show and taking a walk down memory lane with us. Thank you. What's your signature song so we can have you back?
8: I often request Mary, Frog on my toe and Sister Janet.
0: We've already finished those, but we are we're going to redo Mary in a little while. So in about a year we'll hit you up.
8: Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Bye. 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 Thanks.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we're back. And on the line, we have Kira Lee. Kira Lee is a friend from tour. I met her in Chicago. David wasn't there. But I had no idea when I met Kira Lee that she was a not-the-red-baron maniac. Hi, Kira. (laughs) Hi, Kira. How are you?
9: I'm doing really well.
0: How are you? Very good. Thank you. We're so happy to talk to you. Tell us how you first discovered Tori Amos.
9: (laughs) Um, I discovered Tori through a wonderful friend of mine, Maria, who is unfortunately not with us anymore. Um, but she was a friend of mine in college and we were both uh music majors together and I was a composition major and I would play her my songs and she would go, Oh, you know, you sound just like the strangest person and I was like, Who's that? And then she played me um, some of her tunes, and I was like, "Who? Who is this wonderful person?" Um, so that was my initial uh,
0: introduction. What was your first album?
9: I think I think I started definitely. I think she took me to this to some I don't know some uh, record store, probably like Half Price Books or something, and and we bought um, Little Earthquakes. And so I I survived on Little Earthquakes for a very long time. And it wasn't until years and years later, it might have been like five or six years later until I finally got into the um to the other albums and then um finally when I got to Kayleigh, that that was one that that stuck with me the most I think because um I resonated with a lot of the religious stuff on the album because I had gone through a lot of um kind of uh, hard religious upbringing in the south <laughs> so um, that one was the one that really resonated. I me. Mean, this was, I think this was right before, um, or right, it was right around when Scarlet's Walk came out and I sort of just sort of binged through <laughs> all the albums. But Pele, I was like, wait a minute, I need to listen to this one a few more times before I move on <laughs> to the next, the next year or so.
2: So it sounds like you discovered *Boys* for Pele a few years after it had been out, um, do you remember what your first experience was listening to the album, and did not the Red Baron stand out to you immediately,
9: or did you kind of grow to love it? I had grown up in a very religious um, household, and, you know, I had always sort of known I was queer, you know, and I just started uh, transitioning my in the last couple of years, and so I had gone through, like, reparative therapy and, and a lot of really sort of damaging stuff, and so... I think there was something about um, the anger and and the sort of the fire uh, towards religion and, and like, and, and like uh, tapping into your darkness. So initially songs that kind of, like, Father Lucifer, you know, like, really stood out to me are um, Little Amsterdam. Um, but then Not the Red Baron, the reason that sort of hit me was, um, was around the time with Donuts Don't Tell and, like, Dan Choi, um, you know, sort of came out and put his career on the line. And um, I remember I was singing for some gig and I decided to do Not the Red Baron as kind of, like, um, in honor of that. And, and, and suddenly it sort of took on this sort of anthem of uh, kind of... Um, I don't know like i i had the, I started to hear it as almost like this tort song for like the LGBT community and kind of the struggles they had gone through and so it's kind of sort of taken on that meaning for me um and then I think like recently i i we recorded it again like kind of after the whole trump thing and then when um like Carla Lewis posted about being you know trans in the military after the that sort of band tried to to come come out again um so yeah i don't know like that that's kind of when it started to kind of have a special place in my heart and i know it's not necessarily what, <laughs> what I, don't, I think tori was trying to say with the song but um the, something about it just kind of like rang true for me in in, in that sense more it's like a battle anthem for like queer people i guess
2: I love that, and that's one of the things that's so amazing about Tori's work, is that you can have your own relationship and experience with it totally independent of what she may or may not have been experiencing when she wrote the song, so...
9: Yeah, and I think that's something um, I I knew about Tori, and so I think that's why um, it's sort of like... um, uh, that's why I think when it started to kind of have those connotations for me, it was kind of exciting because I was like, oh, okay, so this is that thing that Tori talks about. <laughs> like every kind of song has its own meaning. Um because yeah, initially I don't, I, I know that I didn't like. I heard it. and I was like, oh, that's nice. And then like it just was like later on, it just kind of it, it. I don't know. That song just popped to my brain, and maybe because of all of the sort of the war references that she makes. In the song, you know, and it made me think about, like, the AIDS crisis and a lot of these sort of fallen people and kind of recognize that when other people aren't recognizing it. And so, because um, there there, I, I feel like there's something in that song about, like, um, kind of recognizing someone else's tragedy that maybe other people aren't recognizing. Uh, and even if you can't do anything about it, that, that you can at least recognize it and, you know, and, and, and sympathize for them and that there's kind of a power in that. And so that's kind of what it started to take on uh meeting for me. So
0: it's interesting that you bring up the word war. David and I have talked a little bit earlier about um, a lot of, throughout a lot of quotes in this era, Tori's talking about the war that, she's fighting on this record. What do you think the war is? You you brought up some war references and how that war sort of resonated with you. What is the war that the character's fighting on boys for Pele? If you had to wager.
9: When I think about the character in that album, I definitely think about it as in terms of like, um, this war of fighting, like, I guess, especially as being a woman and holding like a sort of a feminine space and feeling, that that's sort of being attacked, especially by um, those who are holding masculine spaces. And I know that she's talked about, like, that that was, like, kind of a turnaround where she started to see compassion for, like, for men and and for the boys, as she says, that before that it was more about, like, aggression of, like, why did you do this to me and you've hurt me and you've done all these things? And then suddenly it kind of starts, you start to see, like, okay, I can see your side and I can see the pain that you're in as well. And then like, for me, you know, I just I was was thinking it more of like this sort of culture war where, you know, people who definitely who are marginalized, and especially queer people like feeling attacked, (laughs) and and having to feel like you're fighting for your life a lot. And so, um, but that you do have to sort of like, you do still have to see, I guess, that all the sides of the equation as much as you possibly can. Cause otherwise it's gonna get, I guess, stuck in your anger. And I guess that that's what was happening with her maybe in that time that she was like seeing that like, okay, I worked through a lot of my anger and now I'm able to see and be a more compassionate person even to those people that have hurt me, so.
0: And then at least in her case, people that she's hurt as well.
9: Exactly, exactly. And one relation that maybe like the reason that she was hurting other people was because of the hurt that had been done to her. And the, the, that is such a vicious cycle that we can all um, be a uh, fall prey to, unfortunately. So,
2: Can you just settle something for us and tell us who Jean is?
9: <laughs> I think it's Jean Harlow, to what I think it is. Cause, that's like, what I, I said. Think I, and, we all are, and I mean, okay, and I could be... I, because <laughs> another, another reason I kind of think about it as, like, um, this queer anthem is because there is all the references to, like, you know, Judy Garland and the silver screen. And then I just think of, like, Harlow Jean from Vogue, <laughs> you know, when, when Madonna has that, like, breakdown in the middle. Mm-hmm. And she's like Harlow Jean, picture of a beauty queen. Like, my, my brain just goes completely to there. And then I think to me, because the Jean Jean with the hollowed heart, to me, sounds like it's a word play on gene harlow harlow gene so i don't know that so for for me it's gene it's harlow but you know i guess i guess it could be anybody <laughs> it could be blue Jean. it could be whatever gene you want it to be i think
2: you've got it and i smell a vogue not the red baron mashup on the next tour i know
9: thank you thank you yeah because i mean Tori, if you're out there <laughs>
3: please that would <was>
0: <laughs> You have such an interesting perspective, and uh, thank you so much for sharing that with us. How has your relationship with Not the Red Baron specifically changed over since the first time you heard it through now, what, 10 years later?
9: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's definitely, when I initially started to gravitate toward that, it was during the sort of Don't Ask, Don't Tell kind of situation, and I think when that um, sort of died down, I kind of like let it go, and then when <laughs> all the stuff with Trump and then like the disunity and all that stuff, it kind of resurrected for me. Um, and I did a recording of it, um, and I and I kind of mashed it up with a few other things. And um, I don't know. I I, I think it, it it I feel like in my life <laughs> it's gonna like always evolve as maybe like um, a war anthem or an anthem to like you know to fight, you know, when you need to fight the good fight and to remember those, you know, who have fought um, for us. So I feel like I feel like that's the, the purpose it's going to serve. And hopefully, you know, we'll have less and less of those <laughs> fights, but you just never know. So I, I, it's definitely something that when, I, when we're in those situations and I've gone back to that song, it kind of gives me power and feels like um, a weight that I can sort of grab onto when there's all this kind of crazy stuff going on around us so it's it's definitely giving me a little bit of an anchor for sure
0: so kira lee thank you so much for appearing on our show you can follow her on twitter at kira lee l-e-i-g-h 1978 which was probably 20 years before she was born (laughs) follow her on twitter (laughs) follow her on youtube uh, and we're gonna uh, play her cover right now and of course we'll link to it in our show notes thank you kira so much for being on our
9: show thanks kira thank you good night boys good night bye bye bye
4: i
0: line with sergio mora sergio has reached out to us because he is a not the red baron super fan would you say is that correct sergio
10: i wouldn't say super fan but i'd say that me and not the red baron are very close okay. friends okay so tell us your Tory story how did you come to Tory Amos? I came to tori when i watched the box do you remember the box oh i remember the box was, and uh they used they like, punch in a number and see a music video and um back then i think all i did was have two cds that were real CDs a girl let me borrow I was 14 it was 98 so I missed all the uh, do drop-in and a girl let me borrow uh, Bjork uh, homogenic and Sarah McLaughlin surfacing and those are my two CDs so I was always a trick singer guy because before that was Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston and um whatever I watched the box and there was this thing about a woman and a piano and I just liked whatever I saw something drew me in and then I put it in the back of my mind and I think I saw the ending of the spark video put it in the back of my head and then about a week later i was listening to college radio um, from miami that comes pretty staticky in fort lauderdale i had a cassette tape in there i hit record as soon as i heard the harpsichord on carter lights knees i didn't know what a harpsichord was i just knew i'd love that sound whatever that sound that prickly thing was and the, the goosebumps it was giving me and in the, the bridge at, at the second carter lights nice so I just started crying and then after that spark came on and I remember the, the DJ was like, that that was a double shot of Tori Amos. And I played that tape till it broke. Wow. Shortly after Great Expectations came out and I had a talk boy, like the one from Home Alone Two. And I and I eventually got the Great Expectations like VHS and like put the talk boy up against it and just would play that little clip of Siren over and over and over and over again. I don't know why it took me a couple months to actually buy the damn one of the records, but that's why I, I did those three songs. Then for Christmas. I got everything, and once I got the live from New York, I was so ignorant to live music. I never, I didn't understand that she was making, that she was playing the piano and singing at the same time. Oh wow! When I was raised really Christian. There was no contemporary music in the house. I never saw. I remember seeing that she was in town, and thinking, why would people go to a concert if they could see it on TV? I didn't understand the power of of, of a performance happening in a room in real time until I saw that live from New York thing. And that changed my life to live from New York. Wow. Yeah, then I was a Tory fan ever since then.
0: So what is it about Not the Red Baron in particular?
10: In particular, there's so many songs on Paley I could talk about, but it's so cool that you're able to squeeze me in for Not the Red Baron because I, I always tell people that it's my funeral song and they always get really upset with me. And I'm not saying it in to be morbid. I just would really like it. They would have my funeral the way that I want it to be. Like, I don't want some guy just talking about a religion that I don't believe in and then, like, sticking me in the ground. I want it to be really somewhat extravagant. It's like your last performance is your funeral. And I want not the Red Baron. I just don't know how my family would do with the devils and the red capes. But there's something about it that I don't I connect to, not in a depressing way, but I guess um, as a straight, heteronormative ish, man, I liked how um, Tori has spoken about the song as of giving voice to to the men on the album and i never really saw it as a man that the album was obviously there's always there's a lot of feminine whatever energy on it but i've always related to feminine energy anyway so i never saw it as a male female thing none of her music but i just like how in that song she does say if you are listening to it in this way that it's about a woman's heart being broken by a man this is the time that i give the men a little bit of compassion and so there are some other male songs that do that i think flying dutchman merman invisible boy and um I just think that it's really cool that if I am going to say anything on your show about Pele, it'd be nice to just speak about how I feel about him, not the Red Baron. And um, I think about it as like it roots for the underdog in a way. There's compassion for the underdog because he's not the the Red Baron. He's not even um, Charlie's wonderful dog. The fact is that it's for like the antihero. I think it's just for like the the average Joe. And um, as I started to prepare to um, talk to you today, it started getting more and more depressing that this is a song I was doing. <laughs> I don't, don't want to see myself as just um, someone nobody really knows, but, or just another pilot down. But at the same time, maybe that's just all we are. I think she's just really just letting the average guy know that, that, that there's good in him.
0: I think that's very well said. Um, and right in line with what we have talked about, do you intend to tell your family that this is my funeral song?
10: Yeah, I keep, I keep hinting it at my sisters. Well, just, just play them this. <laughs> And, um, and that's exactly what I'm thinking. Like Now it's like I'm in the canon of, I'm in some type of toy related canon. And I really think that this is going to go down as um, an archive that's going to last a really long time. So once everybody gets all excited that I'm on this Tory show and listens to it, they're definitely going to have to play it at my funeral. How could they know? And I hope to live a long, good life. Do you see the
0: war as the war between men and women in a relationship? Because she references the war throughout the album. And what is that to you? Is it a war just between men and women? Is it a war within herself? What's the war?
10: I believe she's talking about a war between male and female romantic relationships because that's her experience. But I think we all know that she's talking about a war within herself because she's stealing that fire. And whether you're stealing it from a man or your transgender lover, it doesn't matter. The point is that like you're stealing fire from somewhere. You're searching outside of yourself. It doesn't matter if it comes from a lover or from, from a drug problem. I think it's about that, about not being a whole person. I, I think that's really why the album to me relates to anyone. It's a, it's a, it's a hero's journey more than um, the diary of a teenage girl that Karen Binns rolls her eyes on. It's really just, it's, it's, a, it's a hero's journey from a woman's perspective.
0: It's definitely an epic. It's a hero's journey. It's a picaresque novel. And, and seeing that this war between men and women is actually just kind of this metaphor for this war between herself and helping her discover who she is as a, as a heroine in this story is really, is really moving.
10: Yeah, it is, and I like that you I thought of it that way without really articulating it. But it's really the war for us to find love. The war between us and love, and mm-hmm. what stands between us and love. Mm-hmm. To love ourselves in order to love another.
0: Very well said. I'm glad we were able to squeeze you into this episode. Sergio, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody with your social media handles, so if they want to follow you, they can.
10: Yes, they can be found on Instagram, and it's, it's El Cachorro. El Cachorro means puppy in Spanish. That's what they call me in my physical theater group. <laughs> E-L underscore... C-A-C-H-0-R-R-O. That's E-L underscore C-A-C-H-0-R-R-O, El cachorro.
0: That's the puppy in Spanish. You can find him on Instagram at El cachorro and the website SergioRMora.com. And of course, we'll link to that in our show notes. Thank you so much, Sergio.
10: We're very, very grateful to have had you on. So cool to speak to you finally and uh, keep up the good work. Love you guys. Thank you so much and we'll talk again. All right, much love. Can't wait for it. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.
0: This next cover is from the PS22 chorus. The first section is a fifth grade soloist named David, and the second section is Seven Years Later, David All Grown Up. We've made it. It's Guess where come we've made to it. This. I feel like I'm in a plane that's going down. No, the plane's gone down, and we've made it all the way to the live section and the end of my jar of pickles. Oh man! Well, you took my challenge seriously. I did. I ate that whole jar of pickles. Now in one we night, have nothing but in a sad empty jar of pickle. Let juice. me be clear: there were Kroger pickles, so it was a small jar, and it was pickle quarters, so four quarters equaled one pickle. So I really only had three pickles.
2: Maybe next time we should make our own deep-fried pickle chips
0: like they have at Hooters. Why would you deep-fry a zero-calorie snack?
2: I took my parents to Hooters semi-recently. They'd never been. I take people to all the best places. I took Eve to Sizzler. Yes. I took my parents to Hooters. (laughs) Yes, he did. You (laughs) know,
0: I have a no-buffet policy in my life, and I broke that with you. I don't go to buffets as a rule because I come from uh, very uh, overweight community in Las Cruces, New Mexico, where everybody's favorite restaurant is the Golden Corral. So I, I just don't go to buffets. I think it's a sad display. It's a slippery slope. It is. A, that's a better word. A slippery slope for myself anyway. Mm, into I, delicious. What? I just filled up on salad, but they've got chicken nuggets and fried okra? Carving so. station. <laughs> <laughs> what buffets do you go to? Um, okay, so Tori Amos has performed Not the Red Baron a total of 154 times in her career, uh, most of those being on the Do Drop-In Tour.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, she performed this in 1996 in the Do Drop-In Tour 107 times, like we mentioned earlier. And you want to know where she debuted at, David? I'm going to choose my words carefully and not fall into any traps. Okay. Not fall into my flames. Yes. Are you calling me a devil with a halo and a beautiful cape? Mm, mm, angel to some, demon to others. Uh, yes. <laughs> nothing more true has ever been said about me. <laughs> um, she, well, you don't have to choose your words carefully. I'm just going to tell you. She performed it at a show for which we have no recording. It's the debut of the Boys for Pele do drop in tour on February 23rd, 1996 in switch, And there is no recording that has ever surfaced as far as I know. And if it has surfaced, it's been lost to time, sadly. I bet Tori's got a copy.
2: We need to come up with a lost to time sound clip.
0: Because we say lost to time
2: quite a bit when we're talking about these we, early recordings. So I feel to.
0: like you need a little bit there. I do, we do. Do you want to hear the first time we do have a recording of Not the Red Baron, though? Hit it. This is Not the Red Baron from Newcastle. On March 5th, 1996, it's the first time we have a recording of it. Um, but here's something interesting. Before I play this, the day before, or two days before, um, two shows before, she was in Nottingham, and we don't have a recording for that, but um, someone left a review on The Dent, and this is the review. They said, about Not the Red Baron, she told us about going to watch The planes with Papa, her grandfather, who died when she was about nine and a half, and taught me, and quote, taught me everything I know, really. And he told her, When those boys get fresh with you, you knock the fire out of them. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. So that was two days before in Nottingham. And here she is on, on March 5th in Newcastle performing *Not the Red Baron. That counter melody that she plays you know the boop, 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 yeah right before she starts to sing i mm-hmm. love that me too yeah that'd uh, have to
2: be my favorite musical moment probably yeah 100
0: percent. strong version she plays she does it with the tape of the pilot speaking and if you were on this tour you know that this was always accompanied with a world war one footage of projected behind her which Mm -hmm. steve caton talks about how moving that was to him because his i don't know if his dad had been in the war or or his grandfather maybe had been in the war but he found it really personally moving and he would always stand backstage and watch from off stage this clip whenever she'd do it and he sometimes would cry um it was a very moving if you recall the do you recall the do drop in tour david (laughs) Just kidding. If you recall the do drop-in tours, I know you do. Were you moved by the presentation? I think it would
2: be now. I don't think I was necessarily emotionally evolved or mature enough to really appreciate that moment for the show. I always kind of experienced it as like a little bit
0: of an intermission after really? Precious Things. Yeah. Let's play another one. This is from Portsmouth, UK on March 13th. Now, at the end of the song, I'm going to play the end because she supposedly, and you'll hear... She finishes the song she finishes the song and then a spotlight comes up and Steve Caton is supposed to come out for whatever was next but he didn't come out so she continues to play a little riff from not the red baron mm. and just a little improv on he it He had to pull himself together I yeah I mean he w- did talk about how being backstage like this was really emotional for him Here we go <laughs> another one this is from july 20th in eugene oregon um and you know what's really interesting david she has played it 107 times on this tour and the tour isn't going to end until november in boulder as you know but july 20th july is the last time she plays it she suddenly stops playing it after this after this show in eugene which is really strange to me to have played it 107 times it's a tour staple Yeah,
2: I remember that being the case, that um, it disappeared and didn't resurface on the tour. Um, But my memory was that that happened closer to the end. I never would have been able to tell you that it it disappeared as early as July. That's very interesting. Right? To have been played 107 times by July? You think she just got sick of it? Well, here's- can't take it anymore.
0: (laughs) It is the Red Baron. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i was wrong this whole time <laughs> no i think um i think she has a hard time playing the intro i think she has a hard time playing the intro at this show for some for whatever reason and then abandons the song yeah so let's listen to this intro i find it really interesting i mean she's it feels like her fingers are sort of sticking together and she's having like a little rough time but it still comes across really interesting so here's july 20th and eugene
2: Shall we get plugged, David? Yeah, but before we do that, I just wanted to say, I mean, that last performance is not a good example of what I'm about to say, but she played it 107 times, and there is very, very little variation between all these performances, which to me is interesting for a song that was so highly improvised in the studio, and it also has that long piano entry. It's like the perfect opportunity for her to really just sort of continue to improvise Mm -hmm. and flesh out the song, but it's very faithful to the way it is on the album. Mm -hmm. Whereas even something like Marianne, which had a similar origin, I feel like every single performance of Marianne is very unique Mm -hmm. and that she, um, her inflection changes. um, She might do something slightly different on the piano. And these, these performances of the song, 107 of them are all very,
0: very, very similar. Because it, was an improvised song, you'd expect almost to not necessarily see her be so faithful to the structure of this improvised song. Right? Yeah, that's interesting. Should we get plugged? Let's do it. Oh, 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 oh! My favorite. Bzz, bzz. Not I mean, that's not
2: true. The Scarlet Swat clip clip clopping is my new favorite. <laughs> we'll get there, David. I-, I can't
0: believe it took that long for you to put that in there. <laughs> Uh, Okay, so let's play the tour debut. This is Tori performing the song again for the first time since Eugene, 96. And it's 98. And guess where she pulls it out? Once again, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. What does Eugene got that I don't got? What's Eugene got to do with it? Here we go. Not Eugene, (laughs) Eugene, Eugene. Oh, not Eugene, 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 (laughs) Oregon. Okay, here is her playing it on the plug tour, but this time she brought a friend. See if you can hear it. Mm -hmm. See if you can spot the friend. Ready? Here we go. actually hear the friend, but her friend that she brought with her was John Evans on upright bass. A little BS. And you can confirm that because you were there, right David?
2: I can and I remember it being equally as subtle or (laughs) you could barely hear it then either. It certainly didn't show up on the recording. Maybe Jeez. he was just bass syncing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> um, visualizing what you thought you should feel.
2: I seem to remember this being a request. Mm, yeah, I people remember people had been trying to get her to work
0: up for a while. Yeah. Didn't just show up out of nowhere. Um, let's move on to the last time. She only played it two times on the Plug Tour. After 107 times on Do Drop In, to only play it two times, that's crazy. Right? She does that sometimes. She'll really wear something out, mm. and then it doesn't show up again. Here is... October 10th in New Orleans. I love her voice in this era, and I love how she hits those notes with that vibrato, you know? I love all of that. I do too, and it's interesting to hear how
2: high and pure her voice is, but also how differently she used it during the solo songs mm-hmm. on that tour as opposed to when she was singing with the band. And gruff and like wow, yeah, growly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's move to the 1999 to Dallas and Back Tour technically, but this was that weird one-off show she did. Mm -hmm. on the 29th of October and this intro is really fantastic so let's play that How we moved a "Strange Little Tour," David? So strange. Strange. Here is Tori performing it in New York on October 11, 2001, with a crazy David. It's crazy version of "This Old Man," and it's a rare to see this song following "This Old Man" on this tour. She was always doing "This Old Man" with something else, but here she's doing it with not the Red Baron. Weird. Here's an especially present performance from November 16th in Los Angeles, 2001. You ready? I
3: am.
5: Posted by Cold Little Ice on the Dent Forum. Well, I'm not 100% sure she wasn't planning on playing it anyways, but Not the Red Baron is a song that I have been planning on influencing Tori to play tonight for over a month now. I was at the concert on this Friday night wearing my pilot helmet, goggles, and a lovely white scarf choking the hell out of me all night, and sitting quote-unquote front row center. For those of you who saw the front row center will know why I put it in quotation marks. I thought it was just my imagination, but I thought Tori winked at me. It turns out right when she winked, the guy next to me turned and said, Dude, she winked at you! She's playing your song, pilot boy! LOL. I was so happy. Me and Tori were making eye contact all night. I think she was excited to see someone so mentally disturbed as I was. Oh well.
2: I seem to remember a thread of flight and aviation um, happening throughout the set list. I think this is the same night she did Flying Dutchman and Daniel. Ooh. So she was working some
0: sort of narrative there. That's what she does. She's a storyteller, David. I know. I know. It appeared 107 times on the 96 tour, right? And then she abandons it on the 98 tour, correct? Well, abandons, ostensibly, yeah. And then 99 as well. But 2001, this tour was about healing after September 11. Mm -hmm. And suddenly the song comes back in a very literal sense about the planes going into the flames. Right. Which at the time on this tour, it was everything that we needed to hear. It was a very appropriate at the time. It was very healing experience to hear this song on that tour. Um, And you kind of expected it to
2: pop up a little bit. I'm surprised that she didn't play this song more often given the climate of the country um, and the time that she was touring post 9-11. I wouldn't have been surprised if this had been Every show. a staple. Yeah, And that was a relatively lengthy tour. So 16 is, you know. It, it made, wasn't that long though. Yeah, it was like, I guess only like three months. Yeah. So by her standards, not long, but yeah. she certainly had ample opportunities to play it more than 16
0: times. So Yeah, 16 only for 2001. Shall we move on to Scarlet's Walk? Let's step it up to at least a brisk jog. I can do that. It's the tricks of editing. Here's a beautiful performance from April 29th in Nolens. And guess who was there? I was. Do you remember it? I remember every Isn't that one moment. of your favorite shows? Yes. I remember every moment of this show. It was the mm. last show, the Scarlet's Walk second leg. We didn't know she was coming back for a lot of pianos. So God, we Scarlet had so
2: many back. legs.
0: It's sinful only in the summertime she played it nine times on the summer of sin tour and here it is april 3rd in orlando this is the first time she played it on the 05 tour oh i love me some orlando mm-hmm. technically not the summer of sin that was the beekeeper tour but whatever
2: uh, it's fine. it was it's the fine. spring of sensuality in the springtime of her sensuality
0: move on to the doll posse tour hmm hit it doll mommy kiss me goodnight I added that for you because you're into creepy things I know thank you I appreciate that um this is from the legs and boots series this is Tori doing it on November 30th in Boise solo
2: Appearance in idaho i'm
0: sure it was a request um shall we move on to the sinful attraction tour it's sinful and it was attractive <laughs> she performed it one night only one time on that tour on september 11th in london mm-hmm. so in honor maybe again of september 11th Yeah, very pointed in 2011 she came back with the fab four she performed it three times in the night of hunters tour
2: Interesting that Little Amsterdam disappeared and she didn't play it at all on this tour, yet she played Not the Red Baron three times. Yeah, huh? I
0: never figure her out. Keeping us guessing. <laughs> um, it did not get played at all for the Gold Dust orchestral tour, which is not necessarily a shock. But she came back to do it seven times for the Unrepentant Geraldine's tour. She did not do it in the Summer Festival Tour in 2015, but she did come back to do it in 2017 on the Native Invader Tour. And she did it one time, David, and it was in Frankfurt, September 16th, and she did it with a mashup. Here it is with Take Me With You. Take Me With You Down in the Flames. Maybe maybe that's the link, right? I don't need
2: shoes to follow because I got a pointed heel. And a plane. I'll set fire to your plane. <laughs> oh my God, that's something else we should never plant in her head because my she idea. will absolutely do it.
0: I'm going to work it for the 2020 tour. Well, David, another episode in the can. Uh, we got to perk up. I need some chemical warfare. Tori sing us the last little sound. <laughs> it's not the last little sound. We have years before we get to the last little sound. <laughs> we should um, live so long. If you like what we do, please follow us on our social. That's Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Songs of Tori Amos. You can also go to our newly hosted website. We finally moved it over to Google hosting so it should not go down again. And that's songsoftoryamos.com. Our webmaster, Amanda Hawkins, migrated it over today. And then I was in a, I was in a business meeting, a high, you know, I'm a high-powered business lady. And I was in a high-powered business lady meeting, and I get this email from her saying, I just transferred the website, see if you can log in. And what did I do from the business meeting while everyone was discussing business lady things? I was in the back with my computer, and I logged into Songs of Tori Amos to make sure I could log in. And I was like, oh my God, it's beautiful. And then I said, we moved hosting. It doesn't look any different. I felt the colors should be more punchier, and I felt like the... Images should be higher res all of a sudden. I mean, uh, when you upgrade from Christmas. tripod, yeah, yeah, one would think we were on a2 hosting. Oh, Sorry, Angel the- Fire. No, we were on a2 hosting. It was a respected hosting site, but now we're on Google hosting, and the website won't go down anymore. Can I Hopefully. still find Knock it using AltaVista? No. Ask Jeeves where it is. <laughs> we don't have to ask Jeeves. I'll tell you. SongsofToryAmis.com and you can go there and sign up for our newsletter and you can look at all our past episodes and David and I just made a decision about some of the past episodes and we're ready to. Sh- we're not ready to share it yet, but there's good news on the horizon. Keep your eyes on our horizon. If you like what we do, also consider going to iTunes and rating us and reviewing us on our iTunes page. It would really help us a lot. Ultimately, if you love what we do, head over to patreon.com/songs of tori amos where you can find yourself just pick out pick yourself out a perk. We have many different perks at many different levels. We're opening a, a eWF registry on our website now that we got the new hosting. I'm so excited to finally take all those member surveys and build everyone their own member page click on their name and find out their whole Tory profile that's what I've been working on registry sounds kind of ominous yeah registry (laughs) it's like world war one here David right anything goes (laughs) do you have anything you want to say you want to push any projects Uh, I just can't wait for Agent Orange which is one of my favorite
2: Depeche Mode songs
0: (laughs) you know I was really surprised it didn't show up on the Native Invader tour but we'll talk about that next week we were so happy to have Paul Roy to wind down I did finish the entire (laughs) Jar Jar of Pickles And nearly all the bottle of wine, so I'm vinegared and graped. Ugh. You know what I think was really successful about this? I think I'm glad to have the super fans back, but I was really happy to have Paul Roy in studio for our Wine Down. And I think wine down, wine down with Paul Roy should be a regular segment. What do you think? Let's do it. Okay, we'll do it again. Yeah. for and Orange. God knows we have an hour and 45 minutes to kill on that song. Mm. Bye. Bye.